0: We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. This morning, we are continuing our series called Resilient. In this series, we're looking at the wisdom and resources God, God brings to help us get through the difficult times that we face, and we do face some difficult times. Well, Christians, you see, have dealt with the problem of difficulties in many ways throughout the years. And one of them is to embrace something known as prosperity theology. Prosperity theology says that God will make good things happen to you all the time if you just have enough faith. And I can see where those people might be coming from. We serve the great king of the universe, right? Yeah, that's God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In him is healing and life, and we get to experience the fullness of his kingdom in our lives every day. Through him, all things are possible. His love never ends, and his mercies are new every morning. He's able to do abundantly more than we ask or even imagine. He's made known to us the paths of life. He fills us with joy in his presence and eternal pleasures forevermore. Yet, what I think is really happening in prosperity theology is that we are actually not reflecting just who God is or his kingdom, but actually our desire and the world around us, that desire for progress towards an easy life. We're all trying to be happy, is the way most people would say it. One we're looking for where science has cured sickness, where technology has taken away the need for hard labour, A world where we can go to a cafe, sit in 21 degree temperature all year round, sip on our latte while we watch the world pass us by, or whatever your vision of paradise might happen to be. It's not mine, but for some people, that's what they really want. I was listening to a podcast the other day called This Cultural Moment, and they were talking about our culture's avoidance of pain, and in particular, our culture's avoidance of death. One of the speakers was mentioning the fairy tale Red Riding Hood. When he was a kid, the wolf came to grandma's house, and I want you to think how, what happens when the wolf comes to grandma's house. But for his generation, the wolf came to grandma's house and ate her. That's what the wolf does in Red Riding Hood. But he said it's now a story that he tells to his kids, and, and in this world, uh, we don't want to see that life could be like that. The point of Red Riding Hood is that the world is a brutal place and bad things happen out there and you need to watch out for the wolves. However, he said, uh, he's read the modern retelling of the story and instead of dying, grandma just hides in the closet. And then when the wolf is gone, she comes out and she's like, surprise, I'm actually absolutely fine. But that's our world. We want to avoid pain. We want to avoid hardship. We can't talk about death with our children. It's not the world we want to live in. So what we've created, in some senses, is a theology that backs up our aspirational desire for the world, where the gospel is about my wealth, health, and happiness, and God's number one concern is for my well-being. Yet when we read scripture, we see something deeper going on. Let's look at a few verses. There are are many more. I cut out about six or seven of these. But Luke 9 verse 23 says this, Then he, Jesus, said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus told people that following him would be hard. And he told it over and over again, if you read the Beatitudes and other places. And then he showed it through what he did. And then the other writers in the New Testament reflect this back, 1 Peter 2:19, "For God is pleased when conscious of His will, you patiently endure unjust treatment, doesn't promise to take it away, but tells us to endure." 2 Corinthians four: uh, eight and nine. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we get back up again. Oh no, that's a different one. But we are not destroyed. I I often wonder what people who have a prosperity view have to say about these verses, and many more like them. No matter the level of faith that you have, you will go through tough times. There will be difficulty. There will be suffering. There will be pain. Times are pressing, times that are perplexing, times when we feel hunted, times when we get knocked down. Life is tough, and faith in Jesus does not alleviate that difficulty. Isn't that good to come to church? <laughs> to the contrary, these are times where the next, there are times when following Jesus can be more difficult because we follow after him. He doesn't promise an easy life for those who follow him. And our perspective has become skewed. We want to know the good things God is going to do to us and for us. But what we find is that God is more interested about the good things he wants to do in us and through us. Romans 5, 3-4 to sums this up so well. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. There is a word to sum up what these verses tell us God wants to bring in us resilience. Resilience to face the things of life and keep on going. Resilience that develops the strength of character and strengthens, not weakens, our hope of salvation. Resilience is not just a human idea, you know, the internal ability to keep on going even when the situation around us is difficult. Instead, resilience is a God-given trait, one that allows us to embrace life's difficulties, experience failure, and keep growing deeper and stronger and able to cope that like this tree behind me, we might flourish. The way of the kingdom is the way of fortitude in spite of difficulties. So in this series, and we're wrapping it up today, we have talked about knowing who we are in Christ, and that's that taproot that goes down deep. Spending time with Jesus, ensuring we're not overworking and having a vision for our life. And by the way, you can catch up. All of the, with all of those messages on our website, uh, I'd recommend them. It's, it's been a fantastic, fun series to, to be a part of and to listen to. We are, oh, by the way, our messages are now available on Spotify. So if you go on Spotify and search for St. Martin C3, you can listen to us there. We're always diversifying. There is one more thing, though, that we want to add to this mix so that you would walk in the resilience that God has for you. And it's found in the story of Moses. Now, here's a little bit of something to keep you listening. The culmination of the story we were going to get to is the most quoted verse and referenced verse in the whole Bible. So there you go, a little bit of Bible trivia for you. Lock that away, whatever you think that that phrase or that verse might be, and you can mark yourself correct. And at the end, you will say, yeah, I knew that, which is good. Uh, So Moses, after Moses led the people out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. And they came to Mount Sinai. Moses went to get the Ten Commandments, which is when things began to go wrong. As Moses is up on the mountain, getting the instructions for what it looks like to be God's people, the people down the bottom decide instead to create for themselves a golden calf. They get all their gold, they throw it into a fire, and as Aaron says, it just kind of came out. They had this golden calf, and they all began to bow down to it and say, this is the God who led you out of Egypt. God is up there talking with Moses, and he's like, "Ah, Moses, things aren't going so well. So Moses comes down the mountain, sees the people of Israel, things aren't going so well. He smashes the Ten Commandments, this most holy instruction uh, from God, and uh, things go badly. They get punished, Uh, God gets angry, Moses gets angry, they all are in a place of judgment. Then Moses goes back up the mountain to speak with God. And God says to him, get going. I want you to take the people and go to the promised land. But the load becomes too much for Moses to be able to do it alone. Moses has the things we consider important for resilience. We've talked about not overworking. And by this time, Moses had delegated so he was doing less work. We've talked about spending time with God, and Moses did so much of that that his face glowed. We've uh, uh, talked about these things, but we can see that he actually needed something else. And so we can read uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 33 today, and we're beginning in verse 12. It says this, "'One day Moses said to the Lord, "'You have been telling me, "'take these people up to the promised land.'" See, Moses had a great vision as well, the greatest vision of all, to lead God's own nation to their land. But he's struggling. But you haven't told me whom you're going to send with me. You've told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. See, Moses also had this solid identity. You see it in everything that we've talked about in this series. But it's not enough. He needs something more. Let's see what he asks for in verse 13. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The first thing Moses asks for is to know God more. He says, let me understand your ways so I may understand you more fully. Let me know your ways. He wants God to reveal himself so that he knows who he's serving. He can represent him well and know how to approach God. We too need to experience a revelation of God to sustain us through our worst difficulties. Your understanding of God will determine your response to him. If you think God is like a strict school teacher looking for one error so that he can berate you, uh, then your experience of his presence will be very different from the person who sees God as a loving, heavenly father. So God responds in verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, "If, if you don't personally go with us, Don't make us leave this place. Can't do this if you're not there with us. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. In this moment of intercession, everything changes for the people. God Himself promises to go with the people. Knowing that God is going with you makes all the difference. I want you to imagine that you're walking down a dark alley at night, and in the distance you see uh, some silhouettes of some big, burly people walking towards you. Now, you're going to probably have a level of discomfort and maybe even fear if that happens. But then I want you to imagine that, that you've got a couple of other people beside you, and these aren't just any people. This is like Joseph Parker and David Nika. You know, imagine you know you've got these boxes who are right beside you, and as you're walking towards these others down the alleyway, what's the difference going to be in your level of fear? If you know that they're with you and they've got your back, you're going to feel a whole lot more confident in that moment, in that situation. Moses uh, had everything we say we need for resilience. However, his task was as difficult as they come. He had to lead a people who didn't want to be led through a desert to a land that was dangerous and foreboding. It was a difficult task. So he says, God, I need these two things. And these two things make a huge difference to our resilience. When you know who God is and that he is with you and that you are going with him, Then you have what it takes to face life and to face all of its difficulties. Then Moses makes what I think is one of the most outrageous requests in all of Scripture. Moses responded in verse 18. Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So God does both things. The next day, God turns up and declares himself. In this passage, in particular, the next uh, couple of verses, this is the most referenced passage in all of Scripture. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with them and called out his own name, Yahweh. Imagine the scene. The cloud coming down, you're there, and then beside you is a person standing with you. Not behind you, not in front of you, not somewhere off in the distance, but beside you. This person is bigger than David Nika or Joseph Parker. His presence is empowering and overwhelming. It is God Himself standing with Moses. What do you think you could accomplish if you knew God was standing right beside you? What room could you not walk into? What situation would be too much for you? There'd be no situation that you couldn't face if you knew walking right beside you was almighty God, right? We need to know the power of him walking with us. God longs to be with his people. We read through the Old Testament about individuals God was with. He was with Abraham. He was with Jacob. He was with Joseph. He was with Gideon and Joshua, with Samuel, with David. And then in the New Testament, the angel said, Mary, God is with you. For each of these people, the knowledge of God's presence helps sustain them through the difficulties they face. And the awesome news for us, the awesome truth of the gospel is that we know that God is with us moment by moment, hour by hour, by his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper, and that'll be my spirit. And we know that every moment God is with us. Do you walk into a room and think, you know, right now, God is here. He is with me in this moment. When a situation feels too scary, when it feels too much, do you begin to draw on what the Holy Spirit uh, is doing inside of you and draw on his presence? Because he is with you. What difference does that make? God was with Moses. God is with us. However, God doesn't stop there. God reveals himself by calling out his moral character and his heart for his people. And he says this in verse 6, and this is what everyone quotes. The Lord passed. In front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, loyal love, and faithfulness. I lavish love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And this week, in our devotions, we look into this statement of the character of God. And that was a blast to research, but it's actually more than just fun to look at and understand. When we understand the character of God, when we know who god is and that he's with us in our moments boy it makes a difference it makes a massive massive difference when you know that there's not just a god that stands by beside you but who that god is then you can face the difficulty of life head on and uh, this week and this weekend in particular uh, i've had to walk into a couple of painful situations and this this is more than just theory. <laughs> because as I did, I was going, God, you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. You're full of faithful love, loyal love, and faithfulness. God, can you be that right now? And Lord, can you help me bring that right now? I'll tell you what, it makes a difference. It makes a massive difference when you're not going and going, oh, how good am I going to be? Am I going to be able to say the right things in this situation? Am I going to be able to even pray the right prayers? But when you walk in and you say, God, I just want to represent your character and your nature, and I want to experience that for myself first, changes things. Man, it makes a difference. really, really does. So how does Moses respond? Maybe it's how we should respond To Verse 8. Moses immediately threw himself down to the ground and worshipped. He knew what was going on. This is awesome, this moment. Humility and worship, he falls down. He submits to the one who is greater than he is. He spends 40 days on the mountain with God, and he's sustained by being, so sustained by being in the presence of God that he doesn't need to even eat or drink. When he comes down, his face glows, the glory which God had shared with him, Moses now carries with him. And the people, the people, they stand back and they go, okay, Moses, you just tell us what to do and we'll do it. We'll be able to do things now and move forward. And Moses did not succeed at everything. He had massive failures too, but he did have the strength and the resilience to lead the people in good times and bad times for 40 more years. We need to know the presence of God and who it is that goes with us, and I want us to apply this this morning in a particular way. It's all well and good to say uh, that we can be glad in spite of difficulty, we'll persevere when things get tough, but uh, this this world throws so much at us that sometimes there are things that that bubble up inside of us. They're called emotions. They're called feelings. And even though we might know this is true, how do we actually uh, see this become part of the very core of our life, even when our emotions come up? Now, as a left-brain dominant male, I would quite lo- like it if emotions didn't exist. You know, I used to joke that I only have three emotions, happy, kind of sad, and hungry. That, that was it. I used to be at Spock level with my emotions. You know, that's not logical, Captain. Uh, It's just about the logic. It's not really about the emotions at all. And some people practice Christianity that way. There's kind of this suck it up approach. I will suck up all those bad feelings and pretend that they don't exist. And I remember talking to someone once who was struggling with life. And one of the things they found most difficult was the negative feelings that they couldn't get away from. And they felt that they were not being a good Christian. See, they were convinced that because the fruit of the Spirit was love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control, that they were being thoroughly unchristian by not being joyful all the time. Yep, painful emotions, we need to hear this today, they're not ungodly. Feeling things is not ungodly, they are human. And even Jesus experienced them. If you go through the Gospels and look at Jesus and how he felt all the things we as humans feel, he wept tears, he experienced joy, he had disgust, anger, compassion, frustration, sadness, hunger, like me, amazement, love for a friend, deep anxiety, tiredness, feeling forsaken, Just because we know and walk in the character of God and that he is with us doesn't mean we should deny our emotions. So then if stoically sucking it up doesn't work, what about its opposite? Liberally experiencing and letting out our emotions. See, the highest good of our culture, as we've discussed, is having good feelings. It's feeling good, right? It's feeling happy and good. And given this, the next step of our culture uh, takes is to express ourselves at pretty much all cost. That's why we talk about getting something off our chest, letting off steam, or just being honest. And we hurt people, and we don't feel much better. And that's ultimately what actually happened with Moses. Later on in the story, God asked him to speak to the rock, to have water come out. Moses instead strikes the rock, and is forbidden from entering the promised land. And if we begin to give in to our feelings, uh, we then can reason uh, just everything through our emotions. It's emotion-based reasoning. When we face difficulty, we explode in anger or we melt down in anxiety and depression or we hold back in fear. We face all, base all our thinking on our emotion, whether it lines up to reality or not. So if denying our feelings doesn't work, you know, that bottle rocket effect, keep it all down until it all explodes, and we can't be ruled by our emotions, then what can we do? In light of Moses' story, I want to suggest we can do three things. My, my mum, who we've had speak here uh, recently, has this process that I found is a vital key to emotional health. And so applying uh, what we've learned in scripture this morning, let's have a look at this. It's called the three A's. Awareness, accuracy, and adjustment. Awareness. I'm going through a tough situation. What do I do? The first question I ask myself is what am I feeling? What is happening to my body as I feel this? One of the best pieces of advice, me who is not used to feeling stuff, I've ever had, uh, the best piece of, of advice is to actually name my feelings to name what is going on in me. It sounds really simple, but to be able to say I feel disappointed helps me own my disappointment, not to bottle it up and let that disappointment twist into anger at someone else down the track. I know I must be making progress because the other day I was doing this and I could name three emotions at once. I was like, what? Three emotions at once? This is pro- who, who could name multiple emotions at the same time? Anybody else or is that just me? Yeah, a few people. Yeah, you get, get to this point where, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm actually feeling kind of disappointed and I'm feeling hopeful and I'm feeling sad and a little bit angry and it's all happening at once. And being able to recognize that's what's actually going on for you can be a helpful first step. But then the second step is not just being aware of our emotions. The second step is accuracy. First, what am I feeling and maybe what is happening in my body as I feel this can be part of that. But then the second is accuracy. Do my feelings make sense of this situation? If I was to look at the situation uh, logically or someone else was to look at it from the outside, does what I'm feeling actually line up? Often our feelings can become exaggerated, distorted, or even minimized. Uh, I have a chart with one of my daughters where when she gets particularly upset about something, she writes it down. And she uh, then takes a while after the situation has happened to write a number between 1 and 10. And 1 is, this wasn't very bad at all. And 10 is, this is as bad as mum and dad were to die. And every time when she's kind of kicked off and it's been, oh, this, this is just unbearable, unbelievable. I go, okay, write that down on the list. We'll come back to it later. And so far, she's not had anything above a five. And these things which just seemed insurmountable, really, really difficult. And they can range from everything uh, from uh, having surgery to have a tooth out all the way down to uh, having the wrong spread on her toast. The reaction was about the same uh, to begin with, but then she was able to go, actually, my emotions aren't telling me the truth. They're not making sense of my situation. But then I think in light of Moses' story, this is more than just uh, counseling psychology, we need to take into account the situation. But we need to take into account that we have a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithful, and that he's with us. So I would ask, if you're in a situation, you're aware of what's going on inside of you, and then as you evaluate, is it accurate? Are you taking into account that the God who is all these things, is with you in this moment. How does that change your perception of the situation? Often what we see is only part of the story. We think we're having to hold the world. But if we could see that God is actually holding us up and our hands up, then we would have a completely different perspective. Knowing that God is beside me and knowing that he is with me will change the way that I view a situation and the way that I respond. And after we're aware and after we've evaluated the accuracy, then there must come an adjustment. How must my feelings change knowing the reality of the situation? How must my feelings change knowing that God is with me? We have the ability to control our emotions When we change our perception, change our thinking, and change our language, then our emotions will change, as will our choices and our actions. This is the process called renewing our mind. It's a powerful process. Awareness, accuracy, and adjustment. One example of this in my own life uh, was when I faced a particularly difficult situation. Uh, I may have mentioned the part of this story before, but just after I got married, uh, my wife and I moved to England uh, about three weeks after we got married to a place called Middlesbrough to work with young people in a church there. The first year we arrived, that city was judged to be the worst city in the UK. We worked in a housing estate called Thorntree. I mean, who would name the place Thorntree? I mean, it's not a very nice name, nor was it a very nice place. It was one of the lowest socioeconomic areas in Middlesbrough, and the worst city of England. And I talked to the teachers at the primary school, and they were too scared to drive down the street at night. The church property was padlocked and surrounded by high spiked walls. When we first arrived, we had nothing. And we relied upon the uh, generosity of some amazing people to even allow us to have a place to live there. We battled sickness, Joanna ended up in hospital for a little bit, and we were half a world away from our family. The work was hard. A number of people didn't trust us because we were outsiders, and we found it really hard to build something. We had one particularly bad youth camp that was just out of control with bad behaviour. The people who drove the young people to the youth camp refused to drive back to drive them home again because their behaviour was so bad. They were trashing the venue. At one point, they smashed this bottle and I walked into the room after this bottle had been smashed and they're just kind of kicking glass around at each other. And I said, guys, who smashed it? Oh, he smashed it. Okay, you're going to have to clean it up. I'm going to go get a broom, going to come back and uh, you're going to clean it up. I came back, and they were gone. And I said, where'd they go? And I was told, well, the other youth leader told them, no, you you guys don't need to worry about that. Just go outside and play. So amongst all the difficulties, I also had difficulties with other leaders. I did an entire term of of youth ministry with four leaders, and uh, the maximum number of leaders I had on any given night was two, and they never... Uh, they would tell me at very last minute, 6.30, I'm not coming tonight, whole term. It was just hard, hard work. One time, uh, a young person ran after my vehicle, swearing at me and shouting that the youth ministry would never succeed. Another time, uh, a young person wrote on the ice on my car, go back to New Zealand. It was tough. It was tough. And I remember one night feeling particularly low. I I didn't probably didn't even understand my feelings because you know only three of them like what are these feeling things, and I remember spending some time in prayer, just bringing this all to God. I just said, God, do you even want me here? Do you want me to be here? His reply was very calm and clear, no words, but just a thought that came steadily to my mind. I want you here. I'm with you. Keep going. And that was all I needed. That was all I needed. And over the next year, the situation didn't get any easier. But my ability to cope did. Got better. And the fruit that we saw, we saw young people become Christians. We saw young people baptised. God did some good things in me and through me during that time. Resilience came as I was aware of my feelings. Brought them to God. Ask for his presence and his character to come influence my situation and allow him to adjust my perspective because of it. God can do the same for you and your situation. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.